How's it going, everybody? Welcome to season six of the Third Line Plug, Sandscast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me, as always, from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host, Tam Yancey. Tam, how's it going, sir? It's going great, going great. I still can't believe how warm it is here. You know what's funny that you say that? Because even here, it's like, what, mid to late October, and we're still in, like, the low 20s. Low to mid 20s. The weird thing is it's like it's low to mid 20s during the day. But then it's like one, two degrees at night. Right. It completely drops off. Yeah, it's really weird. Okay. Because usually in Calgary in October around this time, it gets really in more to the fall. So I'm really sorry. Even out here, like I'm surprised that we haven't really gotten those fall sort of weather yet. Well, even yesterday, like... I was at Katrina's place and we were like, Hey, you know, we should go into town and get something to eat. Cause I was starving. And it was like 24, 25 degrees. And I'm just like, fuck it. It's so hot and muggy out right now. Well, the other thing on my end is like, we were able to do coffee after church outside on this Sunday. Like, think about that. I know. Well, even out here, right? Like it's so warm. But the thing is, oh, I think we have a couple of forest fires right now here on the island. I think one's on Salt Spring and one is up huh. island. And I didn't really notice that until I was up in the properties, actually up by your mom and dad's place, where I'm just like, huh, that's really smoky out there. <laughs> like it's not just Crofton this time. <laughs> very much so, Tim. Very much so. So, Tim, I'm super excited to be back because not only is this our season six opener episode 125 in chronological order and we'll talk about the cover athlete you know although you know who he is we all know who it is but before we do that tim i gotta do something here oh what do you got every season every season since we started <laughs> start off with a cold one and it's funny because I don't drink normally when we do these episodes. The only time I do is for the first episode because it's always been a tradition. Right, right, right. Mm. I should probably just have a glass of water next to me when I do these episodes. I know, and you're usually pretty good about that too, so I'm surprised you don't have anything next to you. Oh, it's I've been really bad about that lately. Uh, like I'm doing multi-hour long episodes of Wild Wild Waste Dry. Actually, I did that whole two and a half hour Bosty episode dry. Oh, that was such a fun, good episode, though. <laughs> I know I finally got my ass groove back in my hosting chair because of that son of a bitch decided to mush out of shape. <laughs> but I think we should talk about today's cover athlete, Tim, because you know what? This gentleman here, he's only one of two players to play his entire career with the Ottawa Senators. It's the Chris Neal edition of the third line plug, Sensecast. So just a little background around about Chris Neal. He was drafted 161st overall by the Ottawa Senators in 1998. As I just mentioned, he spent his entire NHL career with the Ottawa Senators, recording 112 goals, 138 assists for 250 points, 
and an astounding 2,522 penalty minutes. And post-career, he serves as the alumni ambassador for the Senators. So talking about Chris Neal, and you know what's funny? For me, we always talk about the big offensive talent this team has had, whether it be Carlson, Hosa, Havlat, the young guys that we have right now. Chris Neal will always be one of those guys that has such a near and dear spot in everyone's heart. The other thing, I think a lot of people who aren't familiar with the Ottawa Senators just think of Chris Neal as a face puncher. That couldn't actually be further from the truth. He was a surprisingly quietly effective bottom six player with some scoring upside. Absolutely. And even if you recall, I can't remember, I think it was the 2007 season. He had 18 goals. He almost yeah. hit 20 goals as a bottom six guy. And that's amazing because Chris Neal, he's one of these guys. And I think you nailed it right on the head there, Tim, is that a lot of people who don't watch the Sens, they think of Chris Neal as just being an enforcer. And I think that is such a terrible take to make because honestly, he very much was more than that. He was definitely a grinder in the way that, you know, you look at a Darren McCarty back with the Red Wings or even a Tom Wilson today with the Washington Capitals. Maybe not as prolific as Tom Wilson, who can sometimes get up into 50, 60 points. But Chris Neal, he'd throw you 25 to 30 points every season, which is good enough for a fourth line. It really is. And the thing about Chris Neal is that he was sort of that prototype bottom six grinder who was had some offensive skill to him. Because, you know, and again, like Darren McCarty was a tough guy who was not a overly big guy if you really think about it because when you think of the tough guys what sort of weight and height do you think of you think six three six four 225 pounds give or take chris neal was six one two fifteen yeah Yeah, that's a big guy still yeah but when you know what he's like my size i mean i barely break six feet and i'm a bigger i'm a stockier guy but still 61215 is not, it's nothing to sneeze at, but when you think of the role that he played, that's more on the smaller side. For sure, for sure. Now, when talking about Chris Neal with the Ottawa Senators, I do got to ask, like, what kind of memories do you have of him playing for the team? I guess, like, my biggest memories for Chris Neal was always how surprised I was. Like, he would score some clutch goals. And I believe he scored, there was, one goal where he, a game where I believe he had, I think it was a playoff game against Pittsburgh where he scored a power play goal and a penalty kill goal. I'm probably just making stuff up at this point by big, like that's kind of my memory is like, Oh wait, Chris Neal is actually kind of effect. Like he is effective. And then it's like, you start watching him and he, he always noticed with Chris Neal that he was kind of during his prime years, he was doing the little things right. And the puck, was rarely going the wrong way when Chris Neal was on the ice. Yeah, and even for myself, Chris Neal will always have a bit special place for myself because, you know, again, every team has one of those players in the bottom six that the fans will always love because he brought it every single night. There are a few moments that I do remember. My very first Sens game I ever saw live in Vancouver, he actually got into a fight. And nice. I will never forget that. He fought Aaron Rome because I think memory serves me correctly, I think he stood up Henrik Sedin at center. Daniel kind of came over and kind of nudged him a little bit, and then Aaron Rome 
darted right at him. <laughs> but even some of the fights that Chris Neal had, like I remember the big fight that I will always remember was against a Daniel Chara, who's 6'9", and he took him down. You're watching that. You're like, holy shit, dude. Like you're like eight inches shorter than this dude. And you took him down. Yeah. It's just like, think about the chutzpah that you would need to even think about doing that. Cause it's not like Zidane Ochara is just a big guy who doesn't fight a la like Jared Cowan. No, Zidane Ochara in the off season is a Greco Roman wrestler. Yeah. Man fights. And when he's not fighting, he's selling houses. Yeah. So it's like, Chris Neal, he always had he always had that dog in him. I guess the other defining memory that is definitely the face puncher legacy is the most effective. This man played only three minutes of a hockey game I have ever seen. And that was game five in the 2017 second round against New York, where Chris Neal steps on the ice first shift in middle of the second period and just absolutely goes to town on Tanner Pearson. Tanner Glass. Sorry, Tanner Glass. I will always remember that 2017 run because I remember Bonk's mullet was all over Chris Neal. But, oh, why is he in the lineup and all that stuff? And he had, and Bonk's and I always got into disagreements on Twitter about that back in the day. Where it's like, look, Chris Neal is such an effective guy. We would need him in the playoffs because there was times where like the Sens were getting pushed around, especially against the Rangers. And I always made the argument Chris Neal should have been in the lineup and. It's un- unfortunate he wasn't in the lineup very long. And I know on an episode of Wally and the Thought, who, by the way, called it a called it a day, which is a very unfortunate about Wally and the Thought. But he was on one of their early episodes and he talked all about that. Now, the big moment for me, and I'm surprised neither one of us have brought this up yet. February of 2007. The, the brawl between the Sabres and the Senators. Chris Neal is the catalyst of this because of his hit on Chris Drury. And the funny thing is, and I want to, I think we should talk about this for a second. For all the toughness and everything that Christie was known for, how many times do you think he got suspended? Just the one, he didn't even get, I don't think he even got suspended for the jury hit. No, he got a penalty for it. That's all he got. But the thing is, when you go back and watch Chris Neal's hits, at the time, all of them were legal. It's not like he was going, taking headshots. That was the only one that was very questionable at the time because Chris Drury was in a vulnerable spot. But that's a moment that really stuck with a lot of people about Chris Neal's career because he went along and people think, oh yeah, he's just a goon. He's a headhunter and he's all this stuff. And it's like, Chris Neal was not a headhunter. He was an effective hitter. There was no two ways about that, but not a head hitter. No, and like the interesting thing is like, and I think the proof is definitely in the pudding too, because like Brian Murray brought in a bunch of face punchers despite Chris Neal being on the team. So he couldn't have been the designated guy because like for years we had guys like Matt Cassian, Zenon Kanapka, even like early Borbietsky. Brian McGratton. Brian McGratton. Andre Watt. Like Andre Watt. Thinking of, I feel like I'm missing someone, but oh, um, Eric Griba, I think. Griba, I remember him. That. Oh, you know who I'm thinking of? I don't even remember he made the team or not. Remember Jeremy Yabonski? No. Yeah, he was an enforcer on the Suns. I don't know if he ever. I'm gonna look this up. I don't know if he played a game for the team. He definitely is one of those. I remember him from the EA Sports games, not as a member <laughs> of the Suns. 
Uh, Jeremy Yabronski. Yeah, let's have a look here. Jeremy. Uh, Jeremy Yablonski. But I do want to talk about Chris Neal real quick because, you know, another thing we didn't mention, when Chris Neal first made the Sens, who was his rivals when he got to the NHL? That's a good question. Well, Domi I guess like and Domi. Tucker. Yeah. Can you think about like the amount of shit he must have gone at with those two guys in Toronto? Because Ottawa didn't really, because again, the Leafs would just come into Ottawa or even the Sens would go to Toronto and just get bullied by the Leafs. So when a guy like Chris Neal comes along, it's like, okay, well, I'm here now. What are you going to do about it? Yeah, like I'm going to skate and uh, I'm going to throw some hits. Yeah. So I'm looking this up here. Yeah, Jeremy Yablonski never played a game for the Sens. Amazing. Yeah. Actually, do you ever remember the clip of Darcy Tucker when he jumped Chris Neal on the bench? Yeah, that was kind of pathetic. Yeah. Oh, I was forgetting about Matty Karkner. Matt Karkner. Yes, I remember Matty Karkner. He scored it. Oh, he, he scored a goal that forced a game to overtime. And I think he, no, he had an overtime winner against Pittsburgh 2010. Against Pittsburgh in 2010. Like, if you're going to choose a time to be a hero, that's the time to do it. So, Tim, as much as we can sit here and talk about Chris Neal, I feel we're going to plug next week's cover athlete poll because next week's episode is going to be season six, episode two, in chronological order, episode 126. Now, of course, we got some three names on the board. One big one, one little one, and Ryan Shannon. And Ryan Shannon. (laughs) God, I hate Ryan Shannon. Why? I don't know. He was just one of those guys that I... I can't explain. There was just something about that guy. I don't know what it was. I didn't like him as a. He just didn't. He didn't do much. He didn't do much in Vancouver either. That's true. I'm trying to know. Did we get him for Peter? I don't remember if we got him for Peter Schaefer or not. I don't think so. Anyways, the three the three names on the board are Vladislav Verada, Ryan Shannon, and Eric Brandstrom. We got him for Lawrence Nykot. Oh, right. Okay. Another literally who. Yeah. Fair enough, man. Fair enough. So, Tim, now that we've done that, it has been about a month or so since you and I sat down and last recorded. So, I feel like we need to get a bit of an update on what you've been up to since our last recording. Honestly, I've been been doing some stuff. So, a few weeks ago, I went to Toronto to play in a Weiss tournament. I did okay. I might have done better if I'd actually slept mm-hmm. because it turned out the same same weekend as this tournament was uh, Toronto's Nuit Blanche, which is an overnight uh, avant-garde art festival that just takes over downtown Toronto. So like there's art exhibitions up and down Young as well as Long King. Uh, they had a full they had a full exhibition in Union Station. Very cool. Uh, I should have gone to bed before 2 a.m., but uh, what are you going to do? Fair enough, man. Now, also, including that, I understand you've been doing some wedding planning, too. Yeah, yeah. So uh, just the early phases of that takes takes a lot of time. Even if you have a wedding planner. So uh, the wedding planner is worth the money. Yeah. Well, I mean, you guys have been planning this wedding for years, though. I mean, active planning and passive planning are different things. 
True. I mean, in fairness, very different. I was going to say, I was just thinking about this right now. I mean, this whole run of third line plug, you and Chelsea have been engaged this whole time. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like getting to a point where it's like, okay, let's do it. And then the planning actually starts. Yeah. And that's when it's really crunch time. Cause now it's like, Oh shit. We really need to do this. We really need to plan this. We really need to do this. this well, is- no, it's just, you can't actually plan anything until you've got time out and then you have to start because it's not, it's not like you could talk to a photographer. He's like, yeah, I think I might go with you five years in advance. Right. Yeah. There's literally no planning to do until you pick the date. That's true because you know, a lot can change in five years. Oh yeah. So yeah, exactly. So it was basically just like, okay, we've, we have like a vague idea of what we kind of want to do. And it's just, it takes a lot of time to tear, earn a vague idea of what you want to do into a multi-hour event in a city a time zone away yeah although i had do have to give you credit because you are not getting married in calgary so i don't have to get on an airplane to go to your wedding <laughs> fair 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 especially after uh, this summer of flying and traveling i don't know if i want to get back on an airplane for a while uh, planes aren't that bad no they're not but and the covid rules are gone True. I mean, I think for me, it's just kind of that feeling of claustrophobia for when you're cooped up for several hours like that. It's like, ugh. I used to get that on planes. And then I realized it's like, I have to pay for the extra leg room. You know what? My aunt did that for Katrina's our flight from Toronto to Vancouver when we came home this summer. Because again, we flew over there and you and I are about the same height. My knees yeah. like right up against the freaking back of the other seat. And it's like, oh, brutal. At least for me, I had the leg room. Poor Katrina didn't. She's right in the middle. Oh, no. I uh, know. She was not happy about that. But, you know, what can you do, right? So I guess, I guess I can talk a little bit about what I've been up to since we last recorded. Now, in our last episode, one of the last episodes we recorded, Tim, I talked all about my summer all the traveling I did and all the fun I did and the fact I got COVID because of it. And I also went to Seattle this summer. So that was really cool. A big thing I didn't talk about on the last couple of episodes, I quit my job. Oh, so back in September, September 3rd, I was my last official day at my job after seven years. And it was just one of those things where I'd been thinking about it for a long time. It was one of those things where, Heading into the last school year, I was like, okay, because a lot of the work, I shouldn't say a lot of the work, all the fucking work that was supposed to be divided between two people got put on me. Right. So, and, and you and I have talked about this off air. It was like, because it was like from September to December, I was tired, went to the Christmas break, came out of Christmas break, went to spring break and was completely burnt out. Yeah. And I remember just thinking, I says, I don't want to do this anymore. I, I really don't. And I honestly, if I had a backup plan, I would have quit my job in March. Right. But I said, you know what, dude? You've honestly done this for so long. You're almost to June. Go to June. If you still feel that way, do it then. Yeah. Got to June. I still felt the same way. I let my boss know right as the school year ended. And I says, look, I'm going to go to the, I said, look, I'm going to go to the UK for a couple of weeks when I come back, I'm going to start looking for a new job. And I got back from my trip and he asked me, I was back two days. 
And he says, Hey, are you still thinking of quitting your job? And I was like, yes, I had no backup plan. The only plan backup plan I had was my old boss said he would bring me on short term. But again, that was like maybe a month of work I could have gotten yep. out of it, but it was really cool of him to do that. So anyway, September 3rd, my last day. And from September 3rd to the 26th, I was unemployed. That was a tough time to go through. I went through anxiety. I thankfully didn't go through a ton of mental health stuff because of it. It was just the super anxiety of, oh, fuck, what am I going to do now? I don't have a backup plan. I don't have college education to fall on. Everything that you would have ever thought is like, oh, shit. It's more of a now what? And it was tough. And I will admit, Third Line Blog editing those season preview shows was the one thing that kept me sane. Cause it was just like, I had something that kept my mind going and kept me motivated while well, I looked for a new job and I got hired a new job. So now I'm working for a construction company. I've been out there for almost a month now and been really enjoying it. That's good to hear. Yeah. So what do they have you doing? Just uh, nailing stuff? Just basic labor stuff like sweeping up, because what we're building, we're building a police station right now. Okay. There, there's no photos, obviously. They told me that on my first day. But, yeah, so it's just like, you know, sweeping up debris, helping the guys out with painting or pouring concrete or doing whatever. So I'm doing stuff like that. And it's been just a nice change. It really has been such a nice change. That's good to hear. That's good to hear. Yeah. Now... I feel that now that we've talked about what we've been up to, Tim, I think we should turn our attention to season six of Third Line Plug. I say this every year. It still feels weird. We are now in season six. Again, I said this last year when we hit five seasons, I was like, oh my God, we've hit five seasons of the show. We've built a very small, but very dedicated fan base to our show. We get people commenting on Twitter. Thank you, Adam. <laughs> you know, and I'm very appreciative of those people that reach out to us, who listen to our show, all that good stuff. Now, we're talking about season six, because of the traveling that I was doing and all the stuff you were doing, we really didn't get a chance to really talk about what we wanted to do for season six. Yeah, and that's that might be the weirder feeling. Yeah, because normally during the summer... Or, or even during the season itself, like we're always talking about, okay, for next season, what do you want to do? Should we do this, 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 and this? For our fifth season, like we knew we wanted to bring on the one guest a month, some fun interviews, some of the stuff that we did for last season. And I thought it was great success. Coming into this year, like we didn't really have a plan of what we wanted to do because of everything, because we didn't really talk about it. But I'm sure as... The season goes along. We're, we're going to have some cool stuff we're going to be doing probably. Yeah, and we'll just have to we'll cook some good stuff up. I like the guest interviews that we were doing uh, last year. Sorry, the guest episodes we did uh, last season, and those were always pretty fun. So maybe we'll try to do that again. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we might even we might do that. We might bring on some. We'll try to get some more guest interviews like we did with Lori Boschman last year. That was really fun. So maybe, maybe I'll have to look into the Sens alumni. Maybe I'll have to see if some of them can come on. That'd be cool. Yeah. Oh, my God. What if Chris Neal comes on the show? He's an alumnist. He's a yeah. cover athlete. 
yeah, maybe we could do that. Yeah, man. Now, normally I would try to segue out of this to doing something, but honestly, I feel it's the time of the episode, Tim, where we should turn our attention to my favorite segment, your favorite segment, Top of the Hour. I mean, it's not the smoothest transition I've ever made, but you know what? We got there. The Senators on the ice after two games. You know, we're just getting our legs underneath us. We're gelling, so that's all good. Now... We actually have got to give a quick shout-out, Tim, to four New Jersey Devils defenseman Andy Green, who announced his retirement at the age of 39. Green, who went undrafted, played parts of 16 seasons with the New Jersey Devils and New York Islanders, recording 52 goals, 218 assists for 264 points in 1,057 games. Andy Green is another one of those defensemen that most people don't really think about as being a premier person in his cast with Andy Green being in his prime, one of the best, if not the best defensive defenseman in the NHL. Well, I think for Andy, like one of the big things for Andy Green really was that he wasn't on any of those Stanley cup winning double teams. I think if he was on that kind of the way you think of a Colin white when he, the defenseman, not the former Ottawa Senator, but when you think of guys like that or a Ken Danico the defensive stay-at-home defenseman who was very solid in the back end. And when Lou Lamorello went to the Islanders, Andy Green was one of the big devil guys he brought back with him. Yeah, and it makes sense. The guy's always just been a calming influence on the back end. Although, uh, as he got older, obviously the legs just are quite, aren't quite as good as they used to be. Yeah, and that's the one thing for defensemen is that you need to have your legs going, especially nowadays with some of the young guns coming up whether it be a Zegris or Matthews or somebody like this, right? Who can really burn you with their speed? Yeah. Now, speaking of Colin White, Tim, we also got to give him a shout out, not the defenseman, but the former Ottawa Senator, now Florida Panthers forward, as he recorded his 100th career point during the team's game versus the Buffalo Sabres. White, drafted 21st overall by the Ottawa Senators in 2015, had recorded one goal, one assist for two points in two games for Florida, at the time of the story. You know what? I'm glad he's succeeding. Unfortunately, it just, it didn't make sense for Ottawa to keep him in the long scheme of things, but I think he's, I think he's an NHL player and I think he's a good one at that. He is. I think for me, and I think you'll agree with me, that big injury he had a couple of years ago, that hurt him quite a bit as that he never fully recovered from that. But also, yeah. when you but think he's of a point of... that came up from center, yeah. it's like, why would you want to pay Colin White five million bucks to be on your fourth line? And even as a winger with the players that Ottawa brought in, he'd be a third-line winger. But at the same time, Colin White, he is he's put together a quite a nice little start to this season with uh, three points in three games. Yeah. Well, isn't that funny? Eh? When we were talking to David Dwork who worked for WPLG 10 local news, which actually shout out. He just became a father once again with a baby boy last week. So congratulations, David. We, and it's funny because we talked about Colin and some of the ex Ottawa senators with him when he was on our season preview show. Isn't that kind of funny? Colin White's the only one still left now because uncle daddy or uncle Deli's gone. Tyranny hit waivers. Tyranny hit waivers. Just, 
they're all going away now. Did Michael Delzato just hit? Was he put on waiver wire? Or? Yes. Yeah. I I had no idea why they brought in MDZ. I feel like that's a repeat of last of last season. Yeah. The only thing I can think of Tim is that it's because he's a real estate agent and Florida doesn't have any tax. Oh, but that makes sense for Michael Delzato. Yes. That doesn't make sense for the Florida Panthers. True. It's not like when LeBron went to the Lakers, you know, at least he was in LA. Yeah, that's fair. There. Now, Unfortunately, Tim, the big news story of last week, and we're going to switch our turn our attention from the Florida Panthers to Florida's other NHL franchise, the Tampa Bay Lightning, because this was a big news story that broke last week, and there was a lot of people talking about it. The Tampa Bay Lightning defenseman Ian Cole was suspended by the team following a Twitter post alleging Cole of sexually abusing a woman when she was a minor. And but then the NHL and NHLPA completed their investigation and they couldn't find any evidence of wrongdoing. And I don't know how hard they tried to contact this woman, but uh, they weren't able to. So this is one of those situations where you would have to be a fool to comment on it. Yeah. But I think very early on, it was just another black mark for the NHL and hockey in general especially after you heard about the news stories with Hockey Canada. Canada. And even in the last couple of years, we had Jake Furtanen, Evander Kane. But then again, like, that's the hard thing, though, is like... I mean, you know, you have all these black eyes that the NHL and hockey in general is getting. And this was just another story that was... Jesus Christ, like, where does this fucking end at this point? Right, but again... Kudos to the Tampa Bay Lightning for very quickly suspending the player, doing an investigation, and then once they are satisfied with their investigation, reinstating him. Mm -hmm. And That was a very, it's standard, but it was properly done. Yeah, which was more than what can be said with the Florida Panthers last year when Joel Quenville was their head coach after the whole Kyle Beach stuff came out. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So, you know, Tim, even though we talk about the Tampa Bay Lightning, who played in the 2022 Stanley Cup Finals last season, we got to turn attention to the 2022 Stanley Cup champion, Colorado Avalanche, because they unveiled their Stanley Cup rings for 2022. Those things are big pimping rings, eh? You know what? I don't know how you feel about this, Tim. That's low-key one of my favorite parts of the year, when I see the Stanley Cup rings being unveiled. That's really cool. I don't know what it is. There's something about you look at those things and you're like, I wonder how big those fucking things are on your finger. Oh, yeah. Well, that's that's the thing, right? And ring shopping, it's kind of hard, but it's also kind of fun. Yeah, I don't even want to imagine the bill that Stan Kroenke had to pay for those rings. Oh, come on. The TV, sorry, the TV money pays for all of that. True. I mean, I was going to say, yeah, well, who am I kidding? Stan Kroenke paying for it. Fuck. It's not like he had two teams that won championships last year. <laughs> but the one thing I do want to mention with their, with this story is that when the Avalanche played their home opener the other night, Mark, I think Mark Hoppus from Blink-182 is there because the Avalanche fans think all the small things. Huh. And big news story broke that Blink-182 is fully reuniting and going on tour. 
Have you ever been so good at hockey that you reunited a band? No. Have you ever wanted to be that good at hockey? Ooh, you'd have to be pretty good at hockey to reunite a band. Yeah. What band would you reunite, though, if you were that good at hockey? That's such a good question. There is a, that is a good question. I know I'm, and I'm kind of putting you on the spot there with this one, too. Can't even really think of it. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that Blink-182, that's been in the work. I'm sure that was in the works for a while that they're bringing back the old gang for their band, but I don't know. Were you, were you ever that big of a Blink-182 fan, Tim? I never got into pop punk. What is a band that we would get back together through the power of hockey? You know, actually, that doesn't surprise me that you're not a big pop punk guy, to be honest. No. I don't know. I like didn't it's mind, just not I really didn't mind back in the day, but you listen to them now, it's like, eh. Like, honestly, listening to any of those acts now, you're just like, okay. Like, I'm going to go and say it. Green Day was never good. Okay. I mean, they have a couple of really, they have a couple of good albums. No, not even that. Oh. Like, I... I I just don't like garage punk kind of blows. Well, do what you consider green day to be that? I think they were more in the pop punk era. They were more like the they, yeah. kids that came up. That's true. Yeah. And then they paved the way for emo, which was, uh, that's coming. I love how that comeback is already done. Yeah. It's like new metal. Like, yeah. but you know what though? I think. Are, with, are you going to tell me that Slipknot was good? I didn't mind Slipknot. There was nothing wrong with. Slipknot. They had one song. So did a lot of bands. Yeah, but like, before I forget, it's not even good. Well, that doesn't really count because that was like in the mid two thousands, like the er, like the late nineties stuff. Like their debut you, album was pretty good. Iowa was pretty good. You're telling me that Iowa is a good album. Iowa was not a bad album. I will die on that sword, but I was actually going to say, <laughs> I know you probably didn't watch the, the Woodstock 99 documentary on Netflix. That unironically brought new metal back in a big way for people. Cause they're listening. Cause Katrina and I watched that and we were just like, she's like, Oh man, these people are crazy. And there's me sitting on the couch going, yeah, that's, I love that fucking drum sound. They're getting out of that tune. <laughs> Although I will say, Corn has not aged well. Oh my god, Corn has not aged well. Ugh. Honestly, I never really got into Corn. That's fair. Actually, do you know what really didn't age well was Linkin Park. Yes. Okay, I totally agree with you on this. I honestly feel Linkin Park is actually overrated. It's such a it's a teenager sound. Yeah, it was very much a sound of a band that found that new metal sound and they just took everything angsty about that shit out of it and all like the angst and anger and everything out of that and they were just left with like this raw raw sort of shit well it was weird it was like they were trying to like they yeah they definitely overdrove the angst yeah Although you can kind of see after what happened with Chester Bennington. I, I kind of believe that, but yeah, honestly, I think I'd sooner put in a fallout boy CD than Lincoln park. I never liked fallout boy. No, I didn't like emo in general, man. That was, ugh. 
it's like there's i could not get into my chemical romance at all uh follow there were a few good follow boy songs yeah but yeah uh, panic at the disco actually panic at the disco is weird because they're one song that i think everybody remembers that i was i don't write sins i write tragedy right but then they also had just a very their sound is very eclectic and i think they released a new album recently and it's just like very it's very different from what their usual fare is so tim i think we should get back to talking about some hockey as much as i can (laughs) sit here talking about music but last i checked this is not the great white experience this is the third line plug sense cast so let's go back and talk about hockey tim the Carolina Hurricanes have established their own franchise Hall of Fame. Their first official class has yet to be announced. However, current head coach Rod Brendamore, Ron Francis, and Glenn Wesley were given automatic inductions. Okay, so I kind of see why. Because at least Rod the Bod won a Stanley Cup with them. Ron Francis, I might be wrong, I think still holds all the franchise records for offensive numbers. Either him or Eric Stahl. It's got to be one of those two. Glenn Wesley, you know what? They, I don't know. That seems like a weird one, especially if you're an old school Hartford Whalers fan, because Glenn Wesley was always a Boston Bruin. Yeah. Although the one good thing about Glenn Wesley going to Carolina, the Boston Bruins not only ended up with Joe Thornton in the 97 draft <laughs> they got the eighth overall pick and they selected sergey samsonov okay so it really was a big moment for both franchises yes do you think there's kids who to this day just don't believe that joe thornton was ever a boston bruin honestly i don't remember him really as a like that night and it's funny because i say this i don't really remember him, or i don't associate him as a bruin i do remember him as a bruin and it's so odd when I look back on that. I'm like, Joe Thornton was a Boston Bruin? Like, that just seems weird, man. Yeah. Joe Thornton is a Florida Panther, I think, is the weirder one. Yeah. So here's a question about you about this Hurricanes Hall of Fame. Who would you have in their first induction class? Like, Ron Francis, Rob the Bod, makes sense. Yeah, Wesley. Okay, excluding those three. Would you go with Cam Ward? I, I was going to say Cam Ward. I was going to say, here's, here would be my three. Cam Ward, Eric Stahl, Jeff O'Neill. O-Dog, okay. Yeah, because O-Dog I, plays his entire, I think he played his entire career with the exception of two seasons. Where he played in Toronto. He plays his entire career in Carolina. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. Although, here's the thing, though. Are we also including former Hartford Whalers? Um, that's a big one. That's a big that's one. A big one. Right there, is that if we're including Hartford Whalers, you can include Pat Verbeek, Peter Sidorkowitz, Sean Burke. There's so many guys you can induct in that. Right. What about Peter Laviolette? Yeah, Peter Laviolette. Yeah, I could see that. He was uh he was their cup winning coach yeah. for sure. And like they had phenomenal years with him as well. What about Paul Maurice? 
Maybe Paul, Paul Maurice, Maurice was also a longtime coach for them too. Yeah. How long did Mark Ricky play with them? Not long. He won a cup for them. He won a cup for them, he but I think a cup team. Oh, yeah, he got traded in, held the cup team, and then just went to Pittsburgh. The Is next that year. one of the weirdest? He played for that team moment. Was Mark Recchi as a Carolina Hurricane? Yeah, that might be it. Like that, Radam Verbata. Oh, actually, you know what was really funny was that in the 06 finals, Samsonov was with Edmonton. Yeah. No, Pronger was with Edmonton. God, that is such an odd. That was a cursed finals. I know. It was. It Andrew really Ladd was on that team. Yeah. Justin Williams, too. Well, Justin Williams, actually, I'm surprised he wasn't in. Well, he didn't spend that much time. He spent a decent. Well, he did two tours of duty with yeah. them. I could see Justin Williams. Okay. Well, I'll have to think about this because if we're including Hartford Whalers, there's so many guys on that team. But if we're all including Hurricanes, then yeah, that was those would be my three right there. But yeah. So Tim, we got a couple of Buffalo Sabres stories to talk about. Starting off with the Buffalo Sabres have re-signed head coach Don Granato to a multi-year contract extension. Granato is currently in his third season as Sabres head coach. I mean, they like what they see, and I can't blame them. Yeah, and this is something that we talked about with Melissa when she was on her season preview show, is that this Sabres team very much has those late 90s Sabre team vibes. Oh, yeah, they passed the vibe check with flying really colors. Do. And uh, definitely, when we, we'll get to talk about this with the first game tonight, is uh, with the first 10 Sabres game, is that you watched them the other night, and your first thought was, these guys play very good defensively. Yeah, there's just there is a commitment to just team defense. Yeah, and that's big. But the thing is for me is that they've obviously bought into Don Granado. That's something you couldn't say with the other regimes. But here's my well, Ralph thing. Kruger's a hockey terrorist. It is true, but I want to bring this up though. How much of it do you think it's because of Jack Eichel? How much do you think is because Eichel didn't buy into it? Because when your captain doesn't buy into a system, it's hard for the rest of the team to do it. That's true. That's very true. Yeah. Well, we'll have to see what happens with Vegas. Like if he buys into, if Jack Eichel buys into the Cassidy system, then we might finally see the promise of Jack Eichel. Yeah. It's not like offensively he hasn't shown it in Buffalo, but it's just the team success that he didn't have. That's for sure. Yeah. So taking with the Buffalo Sabres, Tim, they've also re-signed defenseman Matthias Samuelson to a seven-year, $30 million contract with an AAV 4.286. Samuelson recorded 10 assists in 42 games for Buffalo last season. This is one of those guys that when he got re-signed, the only thing I thought of was, Who? this is a bold move. We'll have to see if it pays off for him. Yeah. Even with this next pick, even with his next re-signing, Tim, the Philadelphia Flyers have re-signed defenseman Travis Sanheim to an eight-year, $50 million contract with an AAV 6.25. Sanheim recorded seven goals, 24 assists in 31 games in 80, sorry, seven goals, 24 assists for 31 points in 80 games for Philadelphia last season. You Can know we give what? credit 
to torts. The Flyers are 2-0 right now. Yeah. I I don't know how that's happening. But at the same time, it's also early season. The Leafs are 2-2. Two and two, Tied with the Montreal Canadiens. Yeah. Like, wonky stuff happens. But honestly, they're playing better hockey than I thought they would be. Yeah, and it's funny because you look at that Flyers lineup and one of your big thoughts is like, this team is terrible. You just look at that roster and you're like, oh, mm-mm. But you're first, and then again, when Torts goes there and you're thinking, oh, this is going to be good to watch. Oh, this is going to be fun to see. And the Flyers are off to a good start. What if he fixes Tony D'Angelo? Oh my God, I totally forgot Tony D'Angelo is with Philadelphia now. Yeah, remember, they bought low, sold high. Yep, that is true. I mean, if anybody was going to give him a slap in the ass, it was going to be towards. That's true. The Vegas Golden Knights have re-signed defenseman Nicholas Hag to a three-year $6.882 million contract with an AAV 2.294. Hagee recorded four goals, 10 assists for 14 points in 52 games for Las Vegas last season. If I remember correctly, the only reason they were able to even get this signing done and why it took basically until the season started was Vegas's ugly cap picture. Nick Hag, good enough defenseman. Not much more to say. Yeah. But it's just very funny that it took so long to get this young guy signed because <laughs> where the money at? That's true, man. That's true. Now we're going to turn our attention to some Canadian teams, Tim. Edmonton Oilers defenseman Darnell Nurse was fined $5,000. The maximum allowable under the CBA. The first one of the year, Tim. Oh, God. You love it. You love it. Love it. I'm sad that you didn't have a cents counter in there as well. You oh, always I, drop in the and 27 cents or whatever. You I love had, those. I know I love those too, but unfortunately it was just a simple five grand for interference on Vancouver's Kyle Burroughs. I didn't see I didn't, it. Yeah, I didn't see it. And five grand is slap on the wrist. Yeah. Now we're going to close off top of the air the way that we always do, Tim, by talking about the Ottawa Senators. The Ottawa Senators have signed Derek Brizard to a one-year $750,000 contract. Brizard, who's in his second tenure with the Senators, recorded eight goals, 11 assists for 19 points in 46 games for Philadelphia and Edmonton last season. You know, and it's funny, when we signed Derek Brizard to a PTO, what was one of the things that Adam from the Zoocast said? He says, wouldn't that be great if he made that club? Yeah. It's funny just how that Zabenetrad trade has just come completely full circle. Because, like, think about it. Gustafson's gone. It become Cam Talbot. I forget. Who did we take? And I think we took Shane Pinto with the second? I thought it was no, John- we got it first. What do we get with the first? Uh, I thought we took John Gruden with that pick, but I know I might be right. trade. Uh, let me let me ha- let me look this up. Let me look this up right. Yeah, because this the Zabena Jad trade tree could be a very funny thing. Oh my god! I totally forgot. Derek Brizard was a Blue Jacket. Oh, oh my, my god! Look at all of the teams that he played for. I'm just looking at his Wikipedia page. Ready? Okay, current team Ottawa. 
Ready for this? Yeah. Columbus, New York Rangers, Pittsburgh, Florida, Colorado, New York Islanders, Arizona, Philadelphia, and Edmonton. Also, he was taken sixth overall in 2006 for the Blue Jackets. Huh. Is that all? Is that 10 teams? I think so, man. I think so. It's incredible. Uh, let's see here. I'm sorry. I'm just trying to find the. I'm trying to find the, the. Oh, transactions 27. Oh. Let's see what we got here. Uh, Derek Broussard. Okay. Broussard trade the auto senders. Auto senders. Where is the. Where, where on earth is. His oh, here it is. Pittsburgh trade. Yeah. Okay. So. Uh... It was a second in 2018. Jonathan Ber- Bergeron? 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 B-E-R-G-G-R-E-N? Oh, I don't know. I don't know who that is. Anyways. Yeah. Amazing. Damn it. Well, Tim, I guess that wraps up top of the air for this week, which can mean only one thing. Start talking about some games. Now, of course, we got two games on the schedule. We've got the Sens versus the Sabres and the first Battle of Ontario for 2022-2023 versus the Toronto Maple Leafs. But before we do that, let's hit the music. One, two, this on? <laughs> Yo, Jimmy hit me with that triple H. Okay, Tim, let's kick off the 2022-2023 season by talking about the Sens versus the Sabres. This is a 4-1 to Sabres victory. The lone Sens goal was scored by Brady Tachuk. Sabre goals were scored by Victor Olofsson with two, JJ Patekira, Patekira and Rasmus Dahlin. Honestly, we should take bets on how many names I get wrong this season. Oh, no. Oh, God, we'd so Don't bad. do it so to bad. yourself. I know, I know, I know, but... So, and I have it hyphenated too, and you think I would get it right, but that's okay. Shots were 36-34 for Ottawa. A somewhat even game overall. Both teams took turns outplaying the other through the first two periods. Meanwhile, they played an evenly played third period. However, Buffalo were able to score on their chances while burying the empty netter twice. I think the headline for this game, winning goaltender Craig Anderson, 36 shots against 35 saves. 0.972 save percentage. Anton Forsberg losing goalie, two goals against on 34 shots. 0.941. This yeah. was a goalie duel. Forsberg played great. He was very, very good in this game. But you know what? Credit has to be given to the Buffalo Sabres. I mentioned this earlier in this episode. They played a very good defensive hockey game. They did. They really did. And like the shot, as far as uh, model generated points go, Ottawa and Buffalo were very, very close. This game easily could have gone either way. It could have. And I do want to talk about Tim Stutzel here because he had two shots in this game. I'm a a big believer. Had he buried either one of these chances, Ottawa would have won this game. That's a, that's a big one for me because there was two chances he had. He had one, which he got stopped and the other one, he didn't even hit the net. Yeah. I think if he had buried either one or even both, we would have won this game. Well, the, the one that the one that just Craig Anderson robbed him on was that was something else. Yeah. Now we're talking about the senators. I mean, overall, the senators looked pretty confident. 
And that's and that's such a weird thing when you think about because for the last four or five years, we've had these dead weight players on this team. We don't have any of those anymore. And it's interesting to see what we can do with actual talent. The, well, only, the big thing for me that I really noticed though, they need to work on making better passes because the passes they were making would either get deflected or the guys weren't catching them at all. They were just like, would bounce off them, bounce off them, bounce off their sticks, and they wouldn't even catch it. It was just like, oof. Yeah, the other thing that I kind of noticed, and both this is happening in both games, is I'm not sure if they're being coached to do it or it's just like the chemistry isn't there yet, but oh, too much dump and chase for a team of this talent. Mm-hmm. And definitely when we get to the second game of this evening, we'll definitely talk a little bit about that. Now, two players in particular I want to talk about, though, Brady to Chuck. One goal on five shots. And I am going to highlight him for sure because he was one of many guys on this sense team that had a very good game. Honestly, that top line of Stutzla, Batherson, and Brady Kachuk has looked pretty good. It has. The only problem for me, I, I know somebody on Twitter has already mentioned this too, is that <coughs> Josh Norris is on the second line with the brain cat. Deprinkett's not getting those passes. If he had Timmy Stu playing on the second line with him, I think he definitely would have been getting those passes because Josh is a shoot first kind of guy. Right. But the other thing is, and this is where some of that, there's going to be tinkering still left to be done because in preseason, that Stutzla, Deprinkett, Giroux line just wasn't really working either. Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe you go Stutzla, Batherson, Deprinkett, Batherson, North, sorry, Kachuk Norris Giroux maybe something like that lines up like it's just kind of hard to think of how it lines up just based on what the players naturally do but the other thing though is like the uh Norris Giroux to Brinkat line did very well in their matchups against the top two Buffalo lines uh they actually kind of just ate the Skinner Thompson Olison and Tuck Middlestat Quinn lines alive no I think for myself, if I had to set the lineup, here would be my lines. B and B line, first line. Debrinket, Giroux. Oh, sorry. Debrinket, Stutzla, Giroux. You would have Tyler Mott with Matthew Joseph. And I, sorry, I'm blanking on the third liner right now. Shane Pinto. Shane Pinto, thank you. Or even Pinto in the center, Joseph on the wing. Then you have Kelly, Mark Kasselik, and whoever the fuck you want on that fourth line. Honestly, we'll talk about it more in the next game, but Matt Kasselik is quietly starting to put together a very solid fourth line career. The puck just has a hobbit. You you thought last year with this guy was that, and he was one of the guys we talked about him and Parker Kelly we mentioned, and even with some of those fourth liners. Now, when talking about the big acquisitions the Senators made, I do want to highlight Alex Dabrinkit because he had seven shots in this one. He's going to bury one of these chances he gets because, man, was he impressive in this game. The poor guy is just kind of snake-bitten. Yeah, I get It'll it. come. First game of the season. Okay, that's fine. You know, you had some, like Giroux definitely had some rust on him. There was no two ways about that. Dabrinkit looked very good. Yeah, so it's like, this is a game that I think the Ottawa Senators can feel pretty good about. They just ran it. If if the opposing goalie is pl- 
putting up a 0.97, you're just not going to win. Yeah. No, definitely. I mean, Craig Anderson had a great game in this one. I do want to make one final note here before we head off into the second and final game of the evening is that I was watching the game here at home and, you know, I was working the Twitter and everything on her account at third line plug. I happened to notice former third line plug guest, Melissa Burgess in the crowd. Oh, that's neat. I saw her on TV and I was like, that, that must, that, no, I can't be Melissa. So I, <laughs> I tweeted her. It turned out it was her. Oh, that's awesome. It was so cool, man. So cool. All right. Do you want to move on to the first incarnation of this year's Battle of Ontario? Yes, I do. But I believe that you're forgetting something, Tim. Oh, I need to give you a hell yeah. Tim, if you're ready to see me hit onto this next game, Give me a hell yeah. Hell yeah. Now we're going to turn our attention to the first Battle of Ontario of the season. Sens versus Leafs. This is a 3-2 Leafs victory. Sens goals are scored by Shane Pinto and Claude Giroux. Leafs goals are scored by David Kempf, Matt, William Nylander, and Justin Hall. Shots were 32-28 for Toronto. A somewhat even game overall. Toronto started off controlling the play with their puck control. Ottawa were able to make some plays. Scoring twice, however, were not enough as the Leafs scored twice in the third period to secure the W. Now, this was a game that at first I watched it and I was like, eh, it's, it's okay. But the more I think about it, I do have to kind of agree with the tweet that you put out because the Leafs top players were, came out, the Sands top players came out. It was a very evenly matched game. Yeah, and it was just fun to watch because both teams, when they were putting on the when they're putting on the Jets, it was sustained periods of just absolute dominance. At one point, the Stutz the Stutzla line had the Matthews line hemmed in for over two minutes. And that's something I just did not imagine I would see this season. No, definitely not. And I, I will talk about the Leafs here and what my thoughts on how they played. I do want to talk about the Sens because I can't say they were completely awful because they played a very good game. However, they just they had a number of chances where they failed to clear the puck, which killed them. But I think that bad penalty by Parker Kelly near the end of the game yeah. really did cost them. Well, that allowed the that allowed the Nylander goal. Yeah. And it's unfortunate because I actually thought Parker Kelly played a pretty decent game, but yeah, it was, it was like, sure. They didn't get a They didn't get a whole ton of scoring chances, but like whenever they were on the ice, the game just came to a standstill and the puck just kind of started score going up the other end, which is what you kind of wanted to see. Yeah. Now, when talking about Toronto in this one, and you definitely can tell how different both the Sens and the Leafs are constructed because this was a classic Toronto game. And I'll explain why. One thing I've always noticed over the last several years, especially when they get into the playoffs, they don't run on effort. They run on talent. Now, that's not normally. That 
you know, that could be a good thing at times. But the problem is when you're playing teams that are constructed like the Sens that run on energy as well as their talent, you're going to get buried. You saw it against Tampa Bay last year in the playoffs. Fuck, you saw it against every other team they've played in the playoffs in the last several years. But I just, I watched the Leafs and I get where like the casual fan could watch the Leafs and be like, okay, this is fun to watch. I can kind of see that because they're very pretty to watch. They are very, they, they play very pretty. They don't play tough for the most part. And yeah, they were just trying way too hard to make those pretty plays. And even the Sens are looking at them like, really? Yeah, but at the same time, it was like, it felt like tr- this game, it was very weird in that it felt like Toronto was almost a one-line team with the Matt, the Bunting Matthews Marner line had a very, very, very good game. Yeah, it looked like they were just kind of floating. They didn't even and like Brody, Brody and Riley played a really good game. And then the Tavares line was frankly a disaster. Yep. Like Willie Nylander, he got his goal on the power play. Like when he was separated from uh, Tavares and Mulligan, you saw how dangerous William Nylander is. Like that, that Tavares, like hopefully it's just Tavares has rust or uh, that's going to be a problem spot for the Maple Leafs going forward. One thing I really liked about the Senators, man, Sanderson's going to be good. I have in my notes, one assist and one shot. He doesn't even look like he's 18 years old playing the puck. He's so poised. Even in the pre, like I didn't watch a single game of the preseason. And that was the big thing that I saw on Twitter with a lot of people was how dominant Jake Sanderson looked as an 18 year old kid. Oh yeah. And what was insane was all of his matchups were good. He even managed to keep the Matthews line down. Yeah. And Matthews himself had what, like eight shots or something. Yeah. It was insane. But when Sanderson, like Sanderson matched up against the Matthews line, it just got quiet and it was bizarre. And like, honestly, Travis Hamanick didn't look too bad either. No, a lot but of I think he's getting dragged around by this kid phenom. Yeah. But you know what though? If he could be just, you know, that solid calming influence on the back end, then good on Travis Hamannick, though. Yeah. He wins that role, right? Now, the two players I do want to talk about, I do want to start off with Shane Pinto. One goal on three shots. If I was to tell you this was only Shane Pinto's second career goal, would you believe me? Yes, because I've seen how often that poor kid's been injured. But, man, that was a goal scorer's goal. I know. He looked good in that game. He looked very poised. Didn't even look like he'd been injured less than a year ago. Yeah, and he was him and Tyler Mott were everything you him Tyler Mott and Josh Norris were everything you needed from penalty killers, other than that failed clear by Norris. Yeah, I mean it. It kind of is this now. Actually, start talking about defensemen. Do you want to talk about Thomas Shabbat here for a second? Because the one thing that people have had a rough game. Yeah, people on Twitter have really noticed that that Shabbat doesn't seem like himself on the back end. Yeah, it could just be two games. But uh, 
we'll see what it is because like usually it's like he's not quite as he's not as explosive as he usually is no but at the same time it's one thing i did appreciate up and up until that weird play that came to the hall goal is that we started to see uh the shabbat brandstrom pairing okay eric brandstrom has got to be a guy we need to talk about here because it's only been two games he's looked good Oh my, even against Toronto, I thought he was one of our best defensemen. Oh yeah. Like just watching his, like, I've always said that Eric Brandstrom has a phenomenal breakout pass. Yeah. And he almost recreated the Carlson to Hoffman aerial with Claude Giroux. Yeah. Who himself was actually one of Ottawa's best forwards with one goal and one assist. Yeah. I, and I really did like the Norris Giroux to, bring cat line yeah now going back to what i was saying about alex to bring it about him with norris that was one of the big things i noticed in this game and I, somebody isolated this on twitter is that there was the scramble in front the bring standing right there wide open and norris shoots yeah and that's where my think my thinking is right where why don't you put tim stutzler stutzler will see him fake and then pass it over to him right I think the thinking is, is that when you pair Stutzla and Giroux together, you've got two guys who are trying to do that kind of uh, area control mm-hmm. and you just don't get the shot. And I think that's why they swapped Stutzla and Norris. We might see, we might see that reverted back as DJ Smith tries more things in Boston on Tuesday, but honestly, a lot of new parts. It's going to take some time. Yeah. Um, do you want to quickly talk about the special teams? Because that's the one thing I've really noticed is that our special teams has been pretty good so far. Honestly? Yeah, I was pretty happy with uh, the special teams on Saturday night. Uh, one for three on the penalty kill and one for two on the power play. Yeah. But even Can't the ask for better in the offensive zone, when they're cycling the puck, I think it was on the Giroux goal. When you watch the Sens cycle the puck, your first thought is like, who's going to fuck up? That's always been the thinking over the last several years is, okay, which player on this team? Is it going to be, you know, a tyranny? Is it going to be an Ennis? Is it going to be one of those guys? I know, I know. I just insulted our short king. I get that. But, you know, <laughs> you think about that, right? You're thinking, okay, who's going to screw up? But you're watching this now and you're like, who's going to get a shot off? Yeah, because it's like it, that once that – once they establish the cycle, it's incredible. Yeah, because at that point, it's like, well, who do you get the shot off? Do you get Norris? Do you get Giroud? Do you get Stutzla? Do you get Shabbat? Sanderson? Like, who gets a shot off? Yeah, and you even, you're even you even starting to see that happen a bit more in 5-on-5 five five as well. And I think those are the definite positive steps for that we wanted to see with the Ottawa Senators. One thing that I also noticed is the Ottawa Senators, one thing that they were just terrible about last season was unless they started in the zone, they had a very hard time establishing zone time on the power play. And that doesn't seem to be as big of an issue as it was in years past in these past two games. So, Tim, I don't have any more comments to make on this game. If you just want to head off to the close for another episode. Honestly, no, like these were both losses where 
you could see the world where Ottawa won these games. Yeah. I think actually, no, I do want to make one more comment here because I believe it was the Leafs home opener, if I'm not mistaken, or second game at home is that they had a special guest at the arena to do a let's go Leafs. And it was the rock. Oh, neat. Yeah. They had Dwayne Johnson came out who said, you know, let's go Leafs, let's go Leafs. And I think back because there was a promo that he cut about 20 years ago. I want to say on raw, it might've been SmackDown in Toronto where he just tore Toronto apart. The (laughs) button on that promo was so, it was faster than a bear, stronger than a buck. The biggest thing they hit Canada because the Maple Leafs suck. Let's go. You know, actually, I should. I do want to say though, um, our pods, Mike and Wes, friends of the show. Yeah, they were at AEW Dynamite last week in Toronto because it's first show in Canada since they started. And Christian Cage came out, and he cut a promo. He said something about you know, as the biggest thing to hit come from Canada. I like to make guarantees just like the guarantee that the Toronto Maple Leafs will never get out of the first round. Wow. I was like, Oh, 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 that was so good. I mean, between that and the blue Jays losing eight to one to the Mariners. uh, How did they do that? I don't know. And then the Mariners get fucking swept by Houston anyway. Okay. To be fair, to be fair, the Mariners did break some records there. Yes. 18 fucking innings without a run. That was some baseball. It was, Tim. It was. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug, Sensecast. I hope you've enjoyed it because, believe me, Tim and I love recording it for you. We're on the National Podcast Network. You find our page on nationalpodcast.network. You can find our links to iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Play. We're also on Twitter at Third Line Plugs or Twitter Herald. Tim is at M901 Honeybadger. I'm at Great White Gipster, GR8. W-A-T-E, Gifster. If you want to choose an email to talk about the games, top of the hour, or you also want to give your comments on what band you would reunite if you were really good at hockey, choose an email, thirdlineplugsdiscatch at gmail.com. So, Tim, this coming week, Uh we not only have one game to talk about, we don't even need two games to talk about. We've got three games to talk about. All home games, the home opener, Tuesday night versus the Boston Bruins, Thursday night versus the Washington Capitals, and Saturday night versus the Arizona Coyotes. I guess we're really back then. And so is Third Line Plug, my dude. Hell yeah. Until next week, guys. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. And this has been Tim Jensey. Go Sens, guys. Woo!